roles that you're going to pick up in a zoo really depends on the size of the institution. Sometimes the smaller the institution, the more hats you're going to wear. Whereas if you're in a really large institution, you may be more specialized in some of the things you do. Welcome to the Sawyer Vet Now What, the podcast. This is a show that serves as your audio mentor in your journey as a veterinarian. And each week, our awesome host, Dr. Mariah McCauley, will be bringing you insightful short-form interviews with happy, successful vets who are eager to share their career and clinical tips to make your life easier. So whether you're a final year vet student or a recent graduate, this podcast is your trusted companion on the pathway to success in veterinary medicine. Over to you, Mo. Welcome back to So You're a Vet. Now what? I'm your host, Dr. Mariah McCauley. Have you ever wanted to be a zoo vet or wondered what a zoo vet does in their day to day? Well, today I am joined by Dr. J.B. Minter from the North Carolina Zoo to answer these exact questions. JB and I talk about the many hats that zoo vets wear, as well as the different routes that are available to find yourself in this role. I honestly learned so much about this exciting career, and I cannot wait to share it all with you. So let's jump right in. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of So You're a Vet. Now what? Today, I am very excited to welcome Dr. JB Minter to the show. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. This will be a very informative episode because honestly, I have very little understanding of what it looks like to be a zoo vet or what it takes to become one. So I will be learning right alongside our listeners. So for people who do not know, you are the chief veterinarian of the North Carolina State Zoo. You are also one of the veterinarians who is seen on Secrets of the Zoo, if people are more familiar with that as well. But I want to dive straight into today's question of, well, I guess first if you were talking to someone, you were like, this is what a zoo vet is. Like, how would you respond to that? I generally like to tell people when they ask me, like, what is a zoo veterinary? What do you do day to day? Obviously, I'm a boarded specialist. I'm boarded in ACZM medicine, so American College of Zoological Medicine. So I'm a boarded specialist, but I am really just a general practitioner. But I'm a general practitioner for everything. Uh, everything from the tiny little two gram dart frog all the way up to the five to 6,000 kilo elephant is what I see. And I can see those two species in the same day. I have a stable of friends that are specialists in different formats of both human medicine and veterinary medicine, because some of my patients, chimpanzees, gorillas are very similar to humans. So I have those specialists in my back pocket to call upon to help me out when the cases get more complicated than what I can handle. So again, I'm a general practitioner just for all the things under the sun and everything that you see when you go to the North Carolina Zoo or any other zoo across the country, zoological veterinarians are seeing those animals. That it just, it kind of boggles my mind because I always think of like, oh yeah, the general practitioner, like myself, like maybe I'll see like a tiny hamster or a goldfish and then all the way up to a big dog and maybe some person's random goat or sheep <laughs> in some cases. Or if you're doing mixed animal medicine, then a little bit wider variety. But like you said, like a teeny tiny little frog up into a an elephant, like just the vast difference in physiology 
that you have to understand. And so you mentioned that you're a boarded specialist. And so for people who don't know, is that something additional to being a zoo vet? Or is it like you must become a boarded specialist to be a zoo vet? So you don't have to be boarded to be a zoological veterinarian. Obviously, for most of you people that listen to this podcast are probably either in vet school or just finished. So they understand the process of getting into vet school, doing those four years of veterinary medicine. And then some of them are on the cusp of do I do an internship? Do I not do an internship? And then some of them are probably thinking, maybe considering a residency program. Do they want to be boarded in some type of specialty, be cardiology, dermatology? Zoological medicine fits in that same kind of camp of a, as a specialty group if you want to. Whereas just as if you wanted to do surgery and you were very, very good at it, but you really didn't want to go down the avenue of being a boarded surgeon, you can still be very good at surgery and do a lot of those specialized surgeries that a lot of boarded surgeons do. You just couldn't call yourself a boarded surgical specialist. Uh, Very similar to zoological medicine. There are going to be individuals that go into zoological medicine and are zoo vets and are really, really good zoo vets that have never done a residency and have never pursued their board certification. Now, some zoos will probably look upon specialties and look upon boarded individuals drastically differently. Whereas the North Carolina Zoo, because we teach residents, we have a residency program at North Carolina State and the North Carolina Zoo. We share those residents. You have to be a boarded specialist to train residents. So anybody that we hire here at the North Carolina Zoo has to be boarded. Whereas other institutions, large zoos, will have non-boarded zoo vets there. Now, the interesting thing about being boarded in uh, the American College of Zoological Medicine is that you actually don't have to do a residency to get boarded. You can do what's called the non-traditional route, which is means that if you get into zoological medicine through happenstance or you've really dedicated yourself and you're not boarded, if you pursue that career path for six or more years, you can still sit for the exam. Okay. The exam is not easy and the residency really trains you to study and focus on that. You also have to have published three first author publications to sit for the exam. So the residency helps you get to that point and then helps you study so that you can sit, hopefully pass relatively quickly. Whereas the traditional route, you don't have somebody oftentimes helping you mentor you through their research process or the studying process. The college does have a, a mentorship program let's say you wanted to pursue the board certification, you had seven, eight years in and you wanted to pursue that, you could reach out to the College of Zoological Medicine. They would match you up with a mentor and hopefully that mentor would be able to kind of mentor you through that process of becoming board certified. That sounds like it's a pretty in-depth uh, like process to actually get to where you are, especially as a boarded specialist. But oh my goodness, I'm thinking like these, like you said, these students who are like, do I go into an internship? I guess if they're wanting to pursue zoo vet, like what would be like step one, two, three that if you were to like bullet point it for them? So obviously you're going to go to vet school. You need to do well in vet school. I mean, we always used to joke in in vet school is the people that were making the C's were going to be the practice owners. They were the most level headed. They were doing lots of different things, but they were not always dedicated to doing all the book stuff. Like, I mean, they were kind Mm -hmm. of branching out and doing a little bit of everything. Zoo medicine is probably, you probably need to be in the BA range, like just your GPA. And obviously GPAs are, that's a whole different story. They're going by the wayside with a lot of veterinary schools. I would say most zoo veterinarians have probably done an internship. If you want to get into a residency, you 
almost guaranteed you have to do an internship. Some people are having to do two internships, generally a small or large animal first year. And then the second one would generally be a, a specialized internship where either you're, you're doing an internship at a zoo or you're getting into one of those internships at some of the institutions that have like exotic animals where they're doing more to the traditional, what I call exotic animal medicine, where you're working in a large hospital, people are bringing you their pets, be it a parrot, parakeet, hamster, ferret, something along those lines, gets you some more experience and more with along the line of some of the animals you may see in a zoological institution. You would apply for a residency at that point. Okay. If you did not want to pursue that route, didn't want to pursue the residency route, I know a number of individuals that have gone internship, secondary internship, and then applied for a small zoo. Now, smaller zoos, they're going to have a harder time getting somebody that's boarded. So they'll oftentimes hire non-boarded individuals. And what happens is then those people make, it's a stepping stone, small zoo, so maybe that's a little bit bigger zoo, a little bit bigger zoo, and they keep moving themselves up and then they can find them, themselves in a much larger institution further down the road. Okay. Sometimes it's volunteering. You're a small animal practitioner and a small little institution, maybe a, a nature park or that has some wildlife associated with it or a museum of natural sciences or museum, such and along those lines, and they need some assistance well, they may reach out to you if you're a local practitioner in the area. And those individuals come in, they'll see, and again, a lot of them are gaining experience on the job where it's like, I've never seen an elk, but you know what it's similar to? It's very similar to a cow and I've done some cow medicine. So they may gain some experience. I've really never done a black bear, but I've read some stuff. It can't be much different than doing a big dog. And they'll reach out to colleagues. I mean, there's obviously large listservs out there that you can really kind of make your way through some of these processes. I think in another one that I've seen is where like medium-sized institutions where may have one veterinarian on park, that individual needs some relief. So what they may do is they may reach out to somebody local that's working in a small animal practice or a large animal practice and say, hey, I need somebody to come in 10 hours a week to help out, 20 hours a week. And then hey, I'm going to a conference. I've got to go on vacation. Would you mind covering the zoo for this week? So those individuals gain experience that way. And then they can move on and say, you know what? I really, really like this. I'm going to pursue getting a full-time gig or a full-time job somewhere else. And so they may move and jump into another institution. That is really cool. Like there are so many different avenues that I had no idea even existed to become a zoo vet. And as you're talking about all these different opportunities, like are there actually many jobs for zoo vets? Like what does that market look like? Because again, I have no idea. I'm going to tell you that compared to what small animal, like if you're going into small animal general practice, the jobs are tremendous. I can't even imagine how many jobs are out there right now. So many. Zoo vets right now, it's probably the same in the grand scheme of zoo medicine. Like there's more jobs than I've probably ever seen available, but it's still very small in the grand scheme of things. Actually, we just posted a job. It's already closed, but we're hiring our third veterinarian, which we've had a two doctor practice for a long period of time. We're now hiring a third individual. That job is closed. We're currently interviewing right now for it. The week after I posted my job, three other institutions posted a job, which is unheard of. Wow. So it's really good for Zoom medicine, but it's still really, really small. It's not a lot of jobs. So the competition's pretty high. It's higher than you would expect, but not as high as it was when I was getting my first Zoom job. When I okay. finished my residency, there was two jobs available. Yeah, that's exactly that was my first. Wow. <laughs> Um, I'm like, what? So yeah, there was two jobs available in the country when I was applying for my first job out of my residency. 
I was like, I was freaking out because I was like, if I don't get one of these jobs, I have to pay my bills. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, especially after becoming boarded, you're like, uh, now what? <laughs> yeah, now what? Oh, my word. Well, there's, it's good to hear that there are so many opportunities that you can gain experience, even if you are working in a general practitioner or hospital, so that you can follow that as an avenue or it's just like a, a part-time position. That's really cool to kind of expand your knowledge. So I had to tell people that if you're living around a zoo, reach out see if there's some availability, especially if they're a smaller zoo. If they're a smaller zoo with one individual working in the practice, they are looking for help. Now, they may have somebody, but they're obviously not doing it all by themselves. And if they are, they're going to get burnt out real fast. For sure. Especially like, again, like going back to just the wide variety of physiology that you guys have to be aware of and constantly switching between all of them. So I guess like for people who like they're still trying to figure out, okay, like I've have some ideas about ZooVet, like what are some of the main roles that you get to do? And I guess in the last couple of minutes, we can talk about some of your favorite cases. I would say roles that you're going to pick up in a zoo uh, really depends on the size of the institution. Sometimes the smaller the institution, the more hats you're going to wear. Whereas if you're in a really large institution, you may be more specialized in some of the things you do. The hats that I've worn here, obviously, just as a general practitioner, I am going to be the anesthetist, the dermatologist, the neonatologist, the ultrasonographer, the surgeon. I'm going to fill all of those doctor roles. Outside of the doctor roles, we're generally, we don't have a full-time nutritionist here. So I'm the nutritionist. So I get all the diets. I've got to analyze the diets and make sure that they're good for what the animals are supposed to be eating. I'm also the pathologist. So we do all of our necropsies. We necropsy everything that dies here from the cockroach up to the elephant. We do all of those necropsies. So we don't do all of our histopath. All the histopath is read out by aborted pathologists, but I do all the actual gross necropsies or one of the veterinarians does. But then I'm obviously part of the senior team. So I'm part of the executive team here at the North Carolina Zoo. So I sit on that level where we're making huge zoo-wide decisions where, hey, we're talking about what animals to bring in for Asia. We're about to build a brand new continent, which is another 14 acres we're adding to the park. So I was in that discussion of, where that was going to go, what some of those exhibits look like, what animals were we considering bringing in. All of those were, was part of what we were, as a, and it obviously was not just I, it was everybody. Because of our affiliation with NC State, I also teach not only here at the North Carolina Zoo, because we take clinical fourth year students at the North Carolina Zoo. I obviously have residents that I teach, but I also teach didactic courses at NC State. So I go to NC State to teach. I also am an adjunct professor within the Fish and Wildlife Department. So I take graduate students, graduate students that are working either on their master's or their PhD in animal science or fish and wildlife. Uh, so I'm, I sit on a lot of graduate committees. So I do a little bit of that. I'm obviously, because of things like this, because of Secrets of the Zoo, because of some other things, I do a lot of PR work. I go out into the community. I liaison with basically the general public, just trying to highlight what the North Carolina dude does from a animal welfare standpoint, what we do to make sure our animals are as to keep them as healthy and well-being as, as possible, but also some of the conservation that the North Carolina zoo does, but also what I do. Obviously I play the, we obviously, because we display animals to guests, we have a USDA license. I'm the liaison between the USDA and the North Carolina zoo. I also do a lot of liaison work with uh, our what we call our uh, Wildlife Resources Commission, which is kind of the Department of Wildlife uh, within the state of North Carolina. I do a lot of that work. We have a wildlife rehabilitation center on site. And at the North Carolina Zoo, we rehab 
all native wildlife in North Carolina, except for your rabies vectors. And that includes bears, that includes North American river otters, raptors, songbirds, squirrels, opossums, all your reptiles as well. Oh my goodness. I'm like running out of room. Like I was trying to keep track of like one, two, three. And after like 10, I was like, forget it. Like forget how many so, nets so, this guy's So yeah, it's, it's a constant back and forth of what we're doing. And then obviously I have a relatively large staff. So obviously I'm an HR person as well. So that's also <laughs> That's fun. another one. Yeah, that's another portion of what <laughs> oh, I do. Oh my word. People oh, my always word. like to ask to say, what is your day to day? I was like, well, I do a lot of emailing. <laughs> I do a lot of emailing. Yes. So yeah. Oh my goodness, a lot of firefighting, right? <laughs> Honestly, it's not as bad as it sounds because those things, they come and go. Sometimes yeah. it's very hectic and sometimes, knock on wood, uh, it seems like we're in a lull. But right you now, get a little breather. yeah, right now we're kind of right in the middle. I got a few things cooking here and there, but yeah, it's good. That is so exciting. And again, I just love how you have so many different layers where you're doing a lot of work, but you're also looking for ways that you can teach the next generation, reach out to the community. Again, it's like that plus minus and equal mentorship where there's just different levels that you have going on, which is fantastic. So in our last couple minutes, since I know we're technically over time, which is my fault, but I just love hearing all these answers. But like if you had to pick like one or two cases, and I guess we'll have time to stick with one, but what is one that really sticks out in your head, maybe from early in your career, just that you would love to tell people stories about? There are so many. So many, I bet. So honestly, the one that sticks out to me, and it's always been one of the things that I've like really, really taken to heart. So I was a resident. I was a third year resident. And I actually did my residency here at the North Carolina Zoo. So it's kind of like when I came back, it was kind of like coming home to some degree. We had a female gorilla. She had gone into labor and was in labor and things were not progressing as well as they should have been. Again, I was a resident. My mentor at the time, we had an OBG uh, that was on call and we called and they were going into surgery for one of their human patients. And so they gave us some quick here, some quick and dirty. This is what oh we need gosh. to do. And my background was, I mean, I did a large animal internship. I did not because I would, if the zoo thing hadn't worked out for me, I probably would have been a larger mixed animal ambulatory service. So I had a lot of experience with C-sections, both, I mean, again, because we were large animal internship, but we did ambulatory service. So I saw dogs and cats on the farm as well. So I was like, and Ryan, my mentor at the time was like, yeah, you can cut this. So we get this gorilla into surgery. And obviously anything that you do with a lot of these animals has to be done under anesthesia. Uh, Whereas a dog and cat, you just grab them. You can do a lot of the physical exam and things awake. Whereas a gorilla, everything has to be done under anesthesia. So we had her on the table and we're trying to position this kid like the head was like right there crowning. And we were trying to get this baby. We're trying to loosen it up, lube it up, trying to get the baby. And it just would not come in. And Ryan, again, my mentor made the decision. It's like, we got to cut this. Like, we're going to cut this. We got to do a C-section on the scroll and get this baby out. And he was like, you can cut it. And I was like, okay. You're like, what? Uh, yeah. So female gorilla on the table and we now are scrubbing in and we go in for a C-section and we, we get the infant out. Obviously it's taken away. Some technicians yep. are over there stimulating, getting it it's to do its thing. I'm sitting there sewing mom back up, getting everything stitched up, move mom and the decision was made. We were going to allow mom to recover and we're going to keep the infant warm and keep it doing its thing. And then when mom woke up, 
we would open the door and she would be able to go next door. We'd put the baby in another room and she would go in there and be able to pick the baby up. And yeah, watching her recover from anesthesia, kind of opening that creep in that door open and watching that mother walk into the next room and then pick up her child and then hold it and then go sit down and start. And honestly, within seconds, allowing it to nurse. Wow. That was like, oh yeah, that's good. That pulls in some heartstrings right away. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is such a good story. And like, I know you have like so many more, as you said, but I mean, some of them not as good as that one. Some of them didn't turn out as well as that one, but yeah, I have some really, because again, I do a lot of work in Africa as well, uh, where it's like conservation work. And I, I got some really crazy ones from that place. Oh my gosh. We could probably like have a whole entire like series and it's like, oh wait, that's why I had a TV show <laughs> <laughs> about these things. But oh my goodness, I love hearing that story. And JB, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing a little bit behind the curtain yep. of what it looks like to be a zoo vet, how to become a zoo vet. And I know there's probably going to be some students or first years that are like, hey, I want to know more. And so uh, your information will be in the show notes so that they can reach out um, and try and answer more of those questions. But thank you once again. You're very welcome. And again, if you ever want me back, just let me know. Absolutely. All right, you guys, till next time. See ya. So that's it for another show. Thank you so much to Dr. Mariah and her guests for today's tips. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do to support early stage vets in their careers, then check out my book, Sorry Vet Now What?, or non-clinical skills training class of the same name. Until next time, take care.